0: Log
1: Talk Radio. Challenging, thought provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up, here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence killed the church. How mediocrity is destroying America. Reverend doctor Sean, the ninja pastor with today's message.
2: You see, you see how this happens. Let's see here. First Periscope broadcast. There you go. Here's Dr. Sean the Ninja Pastor. Mark Herr and Bob Norton. Bill, Bill Norton <coughs> William. Norton, author of a really cool book. What's a thankful book? The yeah, Miracle of America. The Miracle of America. It is awesome. We have it. Well, you picked a great, great, look at me, just kind of showing my neck. <laughs> Thick neck right there. So you picked a great night to join our Khala, and we are live on the radio in First Periscope. So uh, we will show you this. Uh, look, for those of you on radio who do not believe that we eat like we eat, folks, there's turkey. Uh, dressing like real turkey, not like stove ball. Uh turkey dressing, the whole bit. It's awesome. It's awesome. And everybody's everybody's scarfing up the last little bit. So we are uh, see. And then oh wait, no, peanut there's, butter pie. Peanut butter, peanut butter pie. pie. And I heard there was some kind of <clears throat> stuffing to that. Or there's stuffing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. amazing. So anyhow, uh, all that said to say this, we are live. You are really really fortunate today to have uh, tuned in, because we do have Mark Kerr, Bill Norton, uh, awesome people from the Center for Self-Governance, and I don't want to, and it's centerforselfgovernance.com, so if you got the message, uh, the reminder, if you're a subscriber, then all you need to do is click on that, and it's it's a link, it'll take you right to the Center for Self-Governance, uh, dot com and you'll be able to learn more about what we're talking about tonight. But uh, these boys are going to bring it. They're some of the best instructors I have ever seen in my life. So with that, I don't know who wants to start, but y'all get started. You let it rip. You got About yeah. 50, 51, 58 minutes, whatever. Okay. Awesome. Uh, how are you guys
0: doing? Good. Good. Awesome. How's how's the food? Fabulous. Awesome. Great. Um, Sean, thanks for having us on the thing. I, he said, I'm going to periscope this thing. I was like, what are, what are, what are we doing? Are we in a submarine? or? <laughs> uh, so um, Bill Norton and I uh, just uh, drove in from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Lansdale,
2: Pennsylvania.
0: We had a level one class, uh, and, excuse me, a level two class out of out out, out Pennsylvania, our second class. Um, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. So how many of you guys have had our uh, level one class? All right. And then we've got
2: uh, the crazy man back here.
0: Did that get out? That did
2: get out. (laughs) On video and audio. On
0: video. That's right. So um, so Bill and I are going to kind of take a couple uh, uh, moments to share with you guys, uh, a couple of things related to, um, um what we do and i wanted to start by talking about um the bible what do you think good idea, good idea. is that a good idea absolutely talk about the bible okay it Beats the Quran.
2: what's that it beats the quran he does <laughs> <says. laughs> okay
0: um so in in genesis chapter one of the bible how many? Can somebody for for a thousand points? No, let's let's up it up to fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand points. <laughs> now these points are absolutely worthless, okay? But it's worth fifteen thousand points. Can someone tell me how many times the phrase "God said" is mentioned in Genesis chapter one? Fifteen thousand points.
2: Seven hundred ninety-eight. <laughs> it was worth a guess for fifteen thousand. She wouldn't have guessed for a thousand.
0: And there's only, like, what, 30 verses? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seven. But there's definitely 798 words. So, so go ahead. Seven. 15? Seven. 15? 35. 35? Seven. 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 Oh, you guys thought I knew? <laughs> <laughs> he was asking you. all I was y'all. asking you. Well, Sean said you were a good instructor. Oh, oh man. A good
3: instructor.
0: Where's that? Right. Do we have some crazy spray? It <laughs> hasn't worked up At this point <laughs> It's already been used It's already been used That's right <laughs> So the, the phrase God said Is at least 20 times In Genesis chapter 1 or so And so God said Let there be something God said Let there be something God said, let something. God said Let's do that uh, Genesis What is it Genesis 126 God said Let us make man In our image And after our likeness And let them have Dominion. Dominion. Dominion over there. Right? In Genesis chapter 2, similar things happen. <clears throat> God says some stuff and then makes some things, and there's some animals and all this other stuff. And then um, God forms man of the dust of the earth and breathes in his nostrils Challenge, of life.
2: Thought-provoking. I have no idea why. It is
0: thought-provoking. <laughs> I'm
2: challenged and I'm thought-provoked. That's right.
0: So... If you guys could sum it up,
2: Genesis one and
0: two, where what would you say or where would you say that power originates? God. God. God's word. Right? <clears throat> God's word, right? Based on the premise in Genesis one. God said and a whole bunch of stuff happened, right? Mm-hmm. But then in Genesis two, what what did God breathe his breath into? Man. And what are you? Man. And so <clears throat> where does this power reside? Yeah. Mouth. And in then the where did, and then where did he breathe it? Mouth. <laughs> well actually his nostrils. Oh, <laughs> who who did the first CPR? <laughs> <man>. <laughs> right. right. And so so now in Genesis one and Genesis two we have where power originates and where power has been harnessed, or where has it been vested. And then throughout the rest of the Bible, you have a struggle for. Uh oh. Another struggle. That's all right. Another struggle. Are we good?
2: Yeah, we're good. Just keep going. Keep going? They'll send that.
0: Yeah. And so ever since then, it's been a struggle.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right? Are we good? You're good. Is it on beat? No, you're good. If you press it. Okay. All right. Perfect. So.
0: From Genesis 3 all the way through the rest of the Bible, what is the struggle? So Genesis 3, you have man, right? First he's alone and he says, hey, let's make man in our image. Then he breeds man and creates man. And now man names all these animals and does all this stuff. But <clears throat> what does man uh, end up thinking after he's got this situation where there's no everybody else has their thing man doesn't have his thing right he's alone so what does god do he him love it. right well creates his other half <clears throat> and so now they're in the garden he says to him listen you can do everything eat everything whatever just don't eat that thing and so now that you have a struggle that presents itself because in the garden the serpent comes to the other half and says hey what did what did he say? Did God really say? Did God say? Did God really say those words? Do those words really have any meaning? And what was the result? Sin. Well, the well the result was God said. Again, hey, if they if they if um listen they they know they know sin now. If they eat the tree of life, what's going to happen?
3: It forever, isn't
0: it? Well, the, no, they'll live forever knowing good and evil like us. And so let us remove man from the garden lest he partake of the tree of life, right? And so now the results were <clears throat> man loses God's governance. He's now out of the garden of New Eden by themselves effectively. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to bear, Right. Bear. You guys are going to have to sweat. and You're going to have to bear all this stuff. And so now what are they doing? They're now on their own. So the struggle throughout the whole Bible is over God's governance. It ends in Revelation 22. In the first five verses, you see a river of water of life flowing. And in the middle of the river is a tree of life. And in the middle of the tree of life is what? The throne of God and of the Lamb. So from beginning to end, the whole Bible is a story of who is in control of whom. And the architects of the United States of America went through their struggle during this journey of mankind back in the 17th century, and they discovered something profound. Ever since man lost God's governance, what have they had to do? Create their own. Right? Pharaoh, 1600 B.C., had a group of people called Hebrews. And they were slaves for 432 years And yet they said, hey, power originates in God But where did the children of Israel actually think power originates? Listen in Pharaoh Right? We come to North Korea here in the 21st century The North Koreans live under a similar kind of system They think that all the power originates in Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader. And here it is, 4,000 years apart, and it's the same destiny for two different types of people. We come to the United States and look at our system of government. The architects of the United States said government and the power to operate government do not originate from man. So if we look at the United States And the average citizen I'll just ask you guys this question And your radio listeners you, you answer this for yourself How many of you guys think that government Has too much power? So Does that mean you think like a North Korean? Does that mean you think like the Hebrews Who were slaves of Pharaoh? They thought And they do think that government had or has too much power. The architects of your country built in a completely and totally differently designed system of government. And that is that power for this government does not originate from man, Pharaoh, Kim Jong-un, or whatever. That requires your listeners, it requires me, it requires Bill, requires us to have a paradigm shift regarding this matter of power. And how do we harness that power? In the Delaware Constitution, and whatever wh- wherever you, you are from, from all of your listeners, wherever you're from, the birds that govern you make a declaration regarding the origination of power. For, okay, now this one, this one's worth 50,000 points.
2: By the way, we have uh before you get to the big points, we have two listeners listening from France. Oh. And they each lost family members in the wow. recent real attack. Yeah.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, they're listening right now.
0: Well, our heart our hearts go out to the people of France.
2: Yeah. They sent
0: us the Statue of Liberty. Right? Yeah. And then you know what, Bill, you should you should share the uh the the uh the friendship train and the mercy train. For, the, for their benefit. Um, so this matter regarding power. Is, you had
2: 50,000 points on the table. I don't know well, if you want to just go past I'm go, I'm these heading, people are I'm going to be back to They
0: won't
2: That's forget right. that. They won't forget the 50,000
0: mm-hmm. points. Um, for 50,000 points, what is the <laughs> preamble for the state of Delaware say? And why is that even important to you? Why would it why should it be important to you? Cuz in the De- the preamble of Delaware there is the description of where power originates. And in the constitution of Delaware it says where all of that power resides. So why is that important to you? Because do those words have any meaning in 2015? And that's why you rose your hands. Raised your hands because you you you've been trained to think Power originates in government. Anyway, so with that, I, I want to say this. The Center for Self-Governance helps people have a paradigm shift regarding this matter of power. Um, <clears throat> you guys know what political power is? What is political power?
3: What do you mean by that? A big question.
0: <laughs> what does it mean?
3: <clears throat> power you have in politics, again. Regulate how we live.
0: Right. Awesome. right? Well, politics... What politicians control our government. Uh-huh. Well, the Delaware Constitution says that all political power is inherent in you, but politicians, right, in the way we've been trained to think of them as like pharaoh or as Kim Jong-un, when in fact political power is something breathed into you. The word poly ticks many bloodsuckers. <laughs> <laughs> But is that accurate in terms of the power you have? The word politics means use social relations involved strategy to gain control. Well, our social relations in America right now, right? Our social relations with the French, it's going to improve for a little while, right? Because of the emotion behind it. Just after 9 one right? 9/11, the French uh joined in solidarity, in solidarity with us. So anyway, <clears throat> You guys have something called political power written in your constitution, and it's inherent in you, and it was breathed into you back in Genesis 2. Listen, God is the ultimate politician, so why stick a tree in a garden that he already owned, and then have a serpent come in there to undermine what he was trying to do? Choice. Got it. And so for us, it's a matter of choice related to our governance you have social relations involving strategy already built into you it's an energy that you can exercise it's restricted by using words um but that's a whole other thing i want to oh well, it's going to get bill to come up here to talk about uh something that happened in is it after world war ii mm-hmm. um something that the american people did to the french people after world war ii and the response from the french um, uh, uh, after they received this gift from the American people. Um, I'd encourage you guys to check us out at centerforselfgovernance.com. Um, our objective is to help the American people through a paradigm shift regarding power and how to harness that power, um, how to distribute that power, and then what to do with the control of that power.
2: It's the secret sauce of liberty, folks.
0: It totally is. And the architects, by the way, real quick, you got <laughs> Delaware, the first state in the Union, it's not a small thing. You guys have a guy who was at the Constitutional Convention who basically, because of him, um, we don't have a pure democracy in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, one of the things he said in the convention was, listen, if we engage in this discussion, Mr. Madison, uh, our instructions from Delaware is to, we're out of here. James Madison wanted to basically introduce democracy into the United States, yeah. basically, and the results were, one of your guys, at the convention said, "Sorry, we're out of here if we enter this discussion." It resulted in the New Jersey Compromise, and the result is one of the greatest systems of government ever designed in world history and in modern times. Um, all right, with that, hand this over to to Bill. Talk about the friendship turn.
3: So are you handing it over indefinitely or (laughs) it's up to you, brother? (laughs) So interesting story. In fact, it's, it's, it's real interesting. Um, We've had this, this great relationship with France for centuries, Um, but not always. I mean, we've had some conflicts, right? French and Indian war, King George's war and some other things uh, going way back. But, um, but after world war II, War torn Europe was just, it was decimated. It was exactly that as war torn. And because so much of their property was destroyed and so much of their time and energy and so many of their people, um, their, Europe hadn't even come close to recovering as far as crops and production and things like that. So by the time we get to about 1946, 1947, 48, those years, um, Europe was just in, in poverty stricken because because of this the war and so uh, america began to try to figure out where we could help the french and and the italians primarily Uh, and and so governments started getting together and we we started forming what was called the marshall plan uh and in which basically the united states government was was trying to figure out how to give aid to the french people And so it was government working with government, and there were all kinds of criteria, and you got to do this if we send this and all this, and it was just taking too long. So a broadcaster in California said, this is ridiculous. Let's create uh, and get the American people on this, and and we can get goods and services and food and all that over to them a lot quicker. And so he had this idea, what, what he called the friendship train. And in 1947, the friendship train... Started out with a, with a big parade in Hollywood and a bunch of actors and things. John Wayne and others were all there, and they were actually no, that wouldn't have been John Wayne's era, no. but there's some other famous uh, actors and things were there. Was he that that year, 1947-ish? I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there, so sorry, <laughs> it's not my culture. Um, but nevertheless, there is this. It started off in in Hollywood at the, at the big parade And the Friendship Train. Well, the train that was and and the uh, the train companies were giving the the, the usage of trains and the railroads and everything for free uh, for this good cause. And the original plan was that the train would travel across the United States. It would take about a, about a, a two weeks, and it would stop at various places. And American people would contribute uh, food and other you know clothing and blankets and whatnot. And they were hoping that they could put together about sixty or seventy train cars full of goods well it ended up taking a little bit longer than two weeks because so many people got involved and so many other places insisted that they stop in their cities as well so it took a few weeks and kind of delayed it um, but by the time it got to new york and was ready to be loaded on the ships there was not 60 to 70 train cars there was over 240 train cars full of goods, millions of pounds of, of food and other things And uh, we sent that, originally they were just going to pile, uh, put the train cars on the ships and send it over, but they realized right at the last minute that uh, the European tracks were about eight inches wider than the American tracks, so they unloaded the train cars and put them on three ships, took three ships to get all the goods over. And uh, it arrived in France and Italy and other places. Now, it was people working with people instead of... The friendship train arriving and the French government uh, taking the goods, it actually went directly to a private uh, uh, organization that was set up for war relief. And um, and so it was literally people uh, with people. Now, what a great experience we had here in, in America in putting this, uh, you know, you had all these Boy Scout troops that were gathering canned goods. And you had schools that were competing against other schools to see who would come up with the
0: most food.
3: So it became this big thing in America. Um, and the French and the Italians and others were very, very grateful. So the friendship train was this great experience, but that's not where the story ends. The French were so grateful that they decided that they wanted to give something back to America. But they didn't have anything. So they rummaged up uh, 49 of these Eight and 40 cars is what they call them, because they could hold either uh, eight horses or 40 men. And they were designed for, for hauling soldiers and things uh, around during the war. And so they had these old train cars that were were actually getting to be quite old. All they really had left. And so they put 49 of these together and they ran those train cars uh, through France and the French people put things in those trains, but because they didn't have much, they put their own personal belongings mm. in these train cars. In fact, there's incredible stories of, of some of the things that are in there. Some some very famous um, uh, one-of-a-kind paintings from famous uh, painters. Mm. There were uh, uh, some gifts that uh, uh, that some of the French people had received from other dignitaries throughout history, and so there are some priceless things put in there, but even some very special things. For example, one young girl had a doll that she loved Mm. and she played with uh, often, and that doll was owned and played with by her mother, her grandmother, and her Mm. great-grandmother, and she took that doll and placed it inside of one of those train cars, and so they called this the Mercy Train, giving thanks to America, and they shipped them over uh, to the United States, and 49 of them, at that time we had 48 states, so each state received one of those train cars. Uh, and the the yeah, 49th state was shared between Washington D.C. and the territory of of uh, Hawaii, and so they they trucked them throughout the United States and delivered them to each state. Uh, and most of the states uh, have since restored them. So you can look up online and figure out where Delaware's is if it even exists. Some states they they don't know where they are and they they probably were sold for scrap or whatever. But but uh, at least three quarters of the states. Have them and they're showing them somewhere displaying them somewhere and some of the the goods and things can be seen so this incredible story of this connection between the uh, United States and the French with the friendship train and the mercy train and I know the French are very sensitive about pronunciation of their language so I hope mercy is close enough that they don't be too offended by that. <laughs> so this this incredible connection uh, this this wonderful story have you ever heard about the friendship train mm-hmm. the mercy train very few people have. So,
2: do you want me to keep going, Mark, or do you, or do you have anything more that you want to? Oh, we can talk. You and I can talk for hours. We so. can. <laughs> well, live, you have 33 minutes left to go, and and uh, we can keep talking after that.
3: Okay. So, I'll, I'll share another story. A couple of you uh, in the audience have heard this story already, and this is another story with the French and the Americans. But this is when we are kind of conflicting with each other. So it ended good for us and not so good for the French. Um, But in 1746, during what came to be known as King George's War, the French had sent a fleet of of almost 100 ships to come and burn the coastal cities of America. And the colonists at the time, 1746, we didn't have much. We didn't have the cannons and the guns and the armaments and things that we needed to, to hold off this large French armada. And so we turned to the only weapon that we had a weapon that we had to turn to quite often, and that was to God. And the governor of Massachusetts declared a universal day of fasting and prayer. And on the appointed day, the colonists in Boston gathered together at the Old South Church. Now, the Old South Church in 1746 was the tallest and largest building in all of Boston. Now it's in the financial district, so it sits quietly nestled among those towering skyscrapers of busy urban life. But in 1746, it was the largest building. And so this is where people gathered, not just for church, but for public meetings and things. Well, on the appointed day of fasting and prayer, the colonists in Boston gathered together at the Old South Church. And they gathered together by the hundreds, some say even the thousands. And it was standing room only. Some had to stand outside of the church, looking through the windows and the doors. And it was Reverend Thomas Prince's turn to officiate at that high colonial pulpit of the Old South Church. And he began to pray before hundreds. He said, oh God. And he began to tell God what the situation was. As if you have to tell God what the situation is, right? But that's what we do in prayer. Here's what's going on in our lives. And here's the help that we need. And so, this, this community, and so that's what he's doing. Oh God. And then he asked him, we ask thee to raise thy right hand. And scatter the ships of our tormentors and drive them hence. Sink those proud frigates, he said, to the bottom of thy deep. And he went on to pray like this for quite some time. Until all of a sudden, the ruins began to darken, and the shutters began to violently slam against the walls as if, as if the very hand of God was shaking the earth. And the tower, the bell atop the tower of the old church, began to ring erratically. And Reverend Prince paused for a moment He bowed his head. And then when he raised his head back up, tears were streaming down his face. And he raised his hands high above his head. Oh God, we hear thee. We hear thy voice, O oh Lord, we hear it. Thy breath is upon the waters from the eastward. Thy bell tolls for the death of our enemies. How did he know what was going on? He didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, okay, yeah, those ships are going down, getting news from somebody. No, he just felt like God was answering their prayers. And sure enough, about a week, week and a half later, the news came that a virtual hurricane had come in and had sunk almost every single one of those 100 French ships. And those that remained limped back to the West Indies from whence they came. Boston wasn't burned. New York wasn't burned. Charleston wasn't burned. God had once again preserved the colonists from utter destruction. Mm. Now, our our history has all kinds of incredible stories like that, this preservation of, of this nation through the formation of, of an amazing, amazing principles that Mark just talked about. Uh, Delaware, you guys have a fantastic history, not just as the first state that came into the Union, but the ones that, that, that made it so that it was a unanimous declaration of independence. Right as we were driving here, I noticed a sign, and up above the sign, there's, there's a, a guy and a horse. Now, of course, That's most right. people through all the uh, states don't know who this guy and the horse is, but who's the guy in the horse in Delaware? Well, Caesar Rodney. Rodney. Cesar Rodney. What an amazing individual who, uh, <clears throat> on that night, when, it was, when they were getting ready to, to vote on the declaration. Not on the document, but on independence. Uh, and Delaware was tied, right? You had two delegates there, and they were tied. They were a deadlock. And so Caesar Rodney, he was a delegate, but he wasn't in Philadelphia at the time. He was actually back here in Delaware trying to get support for independence. And so a messenger was sent quickly to go find Caesar Rodney. And they, they found him, and he rushed back. He, he rode through the night. Why that, that great. most people see that Caesar Rodney on Delaware's quarter and they, they think it's Paul Revere of course they have their geography wrong there right but Caesar Rodney rode through the night during that torrential downpour arriving as, the, as some said in his boots and spurs and he cast the vote to break the tie or the deadlock with the Delaware delegation uh, so that it became a, a unanimous declaration of independence now, what a lot of people don't realize, and many of you probably do because you're from here, but Caesar Rodney had skin cancer in his face, and it was eating away his face. And so he wore a, uh, a veil over his face uh, so that you didn't see the hideousness. Um, and he was supposed to go to England to get that skin cancer taken care of, and he didn't because of his responsibilities uh, at the Second Continental Congress. And so because he was kind of sickly with that skin cancer, that ride to that torrential downpour uh, made him ill, and he never fully recovered. He continued to be ill and sickly for about a year to 18 months or so, and then finally passed away after casting that boat. So Caesar Rodney was a, was a, a very significant uh, individual. So it's great to be here in Delaware and to, and to experience that. Now, one other... Quick thing I want to mention here that I think you might find fascinating. It's not really related to those two stories, but related to what Mark's talking about, where the Bible has so much information about governance, and and it's all about governance. Isn't life about trying to figure out how to govern, not just ourselves as a society, but govern ourselves individually, trying to figure out how to follow God's law and how to not follow the the law of the flesh? Right? We're trying to figure out how to govern ourselves and get back into his presence. And he's got this beautiful, beautiful uh, outline of a law where he shows not only the importance of relationship between a man and a woman, but he also shows the importance of checks and balances. See, the founders put this amazing concept into our, our, uh, our constitution of separation of powers, checks and balances, and so we did that with our relationships, the husbands and wives. Now there's a scripture that a lot of times people uh, want to avoid in the, in the Bible because, well, because they don't read the whole thing, and, uh, and they don't keep going with it. And it sounds very chauvinistic, right? But we go to Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands."
0: What about verse 21? Exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're
3: Verse 21, that's right, submitting yourselves one to another, right, in the fear of God. So follow God's law. Absolutely. Thanks for for going back to 21. 22, though, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now that sounds quite so chauvinistic. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands. But then he goes on. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Right, more chauvinistic stuff. But then, what? What does he then do? God then tells us what the other half is. Okay. He just said, all right, we've divided man into men and women, so we've got separation of powers. And now he's showing here's here's what one does. Now here's what the next one is. And husbands, boy, this is. There's much more responsibility than what than given to the wives, actually. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Mm-hmm. Now how much did Christ give to the church? Everything. Everything. That's how much we need to love our wives. Give everything. Sacrifice the ball game. Sacrifice. Uh, the six-pack of beer with the friends, sacrifice all those things for, for the wives and for the children. You see the checks and beautiful checks and balances, right? And then he goes on and he talks about how how important that is, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So when the, when the husband sacrifices for the wife and for the children, for the family, then that sanctifies. And cleanses the family. It's really a beautiful thing. It's a big responsibility, husbands. Right? And then he goes on and he talks about um, about how how important it is to, to, to love others and things. And then as we get back down to the very bottom of it, um, he then says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So this is how we become one. Separation, checks and balances, become one. Interesting how he does that. He, he gives us this opportunity to, to figure out how to come back together as one. And that's really what we need to do even as society. Figure out how to come back together as one. We're all given our, our, our power is inherited from, the, inherited from the powers of the earth from God in our separate and equal station. But now we need to figure out how to come back together after being separated. Then he goes on this is a great mystery of course he's talking about women this is a great <laughs> mystery right? but I speak concerning Christ and the church nevertheless let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband now this is very typical in in, in uh in Hebrew and and uh, writings and early of the church early part of the church is to bookend things right you start with one wives submit your to your husbands and then you end wise reverence now i love how it ends differently though it's not this chauvinistic sounding wives submit it's wise reverence now what is what does the word reverence mean honor, honor respect right revere um I mean, all these. And how do you get reverence from somebody? Can you beat it out of them? Can you force it? Can you demand it? Can you say, I am the ruler, and so you must reverence me? No. You might say you have to listen to me, you have to do what I say, but in order to get reverence, you have to laugh at a joke. i was working out in my garage a couple of years ago oh this is three four years ago working out in my garage and the neighbor kid that lives a couple of, of uh, houses down the road he uh like nine ten years uh, probably ten years old and he's in the same class as my daughter she's ten years old and he kind of likes my daughter now you know culturally in our in our area we don't you don't start dating until you're in your Mid to upper teens and all that, so he knows that he's not going to be dating my daughter at 10 years old. But he did want to inform me that he, you know, likes my daughter and would like to date her as he gets a little older. So he comes while I'm working in the garage, and he comes and, and in, a, in a very respectful, uh, uh, mature way, is talking about how he kind of likes my daughter. And I said, well, What is it that you like about her? Well, she laughs at my jokes, he said. Well, ten year old, she laughs at my jokes. That's one reason why I like
0: it. Same joke. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So that's so reverence.
3: Reverence is something that if a husband is not respecting his wife and his children, if a husband is not sacrificing for the family, he's not going to get reverence. But if he is sacrificing everything, everything, then that reverence will naturally come. So it kind of gives women this, this, a little bit more of what he's talking about, women submit yourselves. It's after the husband sacrifices and you are now reverencing. So there's the a difference there. But the, the main thing I want to point out here is this, this beautiful concept of separation of powers, checks and balances. And Right there in the Bible, it brings it right down to personal relationships. But we also need to do those same kind of things even in society. We've been separate, and now we need to come together and figure out how to unite. And when we do that, it becomes very, we, we really harness our power, and we can have a tremendous amount of control over our own lives and over our instituted government and over our families and everything if we come together and unite in the proper manner. Fun stuff, isn't that fantastic? So well, how do we do
0: that? Don't leave us there. <laughs> how do we
3: do that with with in society, society yeah. and In governing, I'm gonna let Mark take that question. Right.
0: <laughs> so. How do we harness
3: the people? I guess heavy lifting. Her hit it.
0: <laughs> Wasn't that inspiring? Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, right? Um. So, so what was the question again? Well, he said we had to come together, just like you know, you're talking about husband and wife. In unity, how do we do that as a society? We're so divided right now. So let me illustrate this with words, um, with the meaning of words. So remember Genesis one, God said a lot of times, right? And He used words to make things happen. And you're saying right now in 2015, your impression is that society is divided. Would you would you all agree with her? Mm-hmm. What's that? I said black <laughs> <laughs> So in if you could analyze it, why do you have the sense that <clears throat> there's so much division? If you could if you could sum it up, why is there so much division? As it relates to words. Because our political system is divided? Because the political system is divided?
3: We use harsh words against each other.
0: We use harsh words against each other. The church is divided. The church is divided. Oh, it still goes back to relationships. Relationships.
3: But we don't love God.
0: We don't love God. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. It's a spiritual problem. Right. We're not not wrestling against flesh and blood here, right? So this is a much bigger issue because back in Genesis 1 and 2, you see God's heart. In Genesis 3, you see the manifestation of it. But then something came in behind it to disrupt it. So, how many? So, I ask a lot of questions. I can't help it, all right? How do you define the word person? Ma'am? Yeah, Me? Yep. Nope. The one who just looked over her left shoulder. How would you define the word person? Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> For God so loved the world. Of creation of God in His own image. So a person is of creation of God in His own own image. Okay. So that's very very good. It's an individual. An individual. And each individual has that breath. What about you? A human. A human. It's a person. Uh, same
3: thing created by God in His image as a uh, uh, a carrier of His purpose.
0: All right, so so now you're like, what in the world does that have to do with fixing society? Well, in the system of government in Delaware, there's the government, and then what's inside the government? You, you most of you will say people, but actually, what is your government? It's not people. It's a bunch of words. They're called laws, ordinances, statutes, regulation, policy, all kinds of names to them. Okay. What is the definition of the word person in your government? Not even anything that you guys just said. But in your mind, as the people who are governed by the system, you think that the word means X, but in the government, the word means Y. So my point is this, and your your question was, well, how do we fix it? Do you own the meaning of the word person? No. No, Right? What governs you is the government of Delaware, correct? All the words that are contained in that government govern you. But you think the word means human being. But in fact, it has a totally different meaning. How do you fix society? It comes down to the meaning of words. Who controls the meaning? How do you think that Delaware... And Virginia came to agreement in the New Jersey Compromise. Lots and lots of words, right? Connecticut Compromise. The, not the New Jersey, the Connecticut Compromise. Either way, it took a lot of words, and they had to agree on the meaning of those words. Uh, Delaware was about to leave the convention because they didn't agree with the meaning of words, right? All right, So, so step number one is, <clears throat> what does it mean? Who, who controls the meaning? And part of our training program is to help you discover what the meaning of those words are. Yes, sir? So I only thought, like, in our government, the people had the power. When did, like,
3: I understand, like, like corruption and stuff, but, like, how did it switch over? When did that be unconstitutional? Like, when, it, when did it change from when the... Founding fathers wrote the Constitution of, say, Delaware. Like the the founders of Delaware, they obviously wanted the people to be the people, not some bureaucratic government agency. When did it switch over, and how did it switch over? If the
0: Constitution is um so
3: like I'm just confused on how it transferred over from like our founding to like now.
0: Um there there's a couple of events that took place and but it was the people who were intent on changing your system that took advantage of those events one big event that helped promote the change in the system was the civil war from the 1870s the dialogue at the this level Started changing. And at the education level, the language started changing. For example, are you guys uh, familiar with the curriculum in public school that teaches our system is a democracy?
3: I've all yeah, well, my teachers so <laughs> many times, the Republic, and they say every time it's a democracy. <laughs> <they're>
2: so <laughs> <frustrating>. <laughs>
0: And it, and, it, and it can be frustrating, but there's a reason why they think that way. And this started back in the late 1800s. So it's long before you and I were born. But
3: doing,
0: I'm sorry? Really? Oh Yes. And, 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 a few, and a few other scenarios involved during that time. The whole concept was this, is that the people were not capable of self-governing. Look at the states that rose up in rebellion. Therefore, we need to modify our system, change the system of government, and strip the people of their ability to become self-governing. And so this concept of self-governance was an architectural concept built into our United States government. That concept is what is being removed. So when your teacher says, we're a democracy, and you say, no, we're a republic, and they say, no, we are a democracy, prepare for your F, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> The key here is, is that the system is being changed by those who control the meaning of words. So let me let me actually, if it's okay, let me talk about a, a, a couple of things related to self-governance. After all, it's in the title of our name. That's right. <laughs> right? Uh, James Madison in a Federalist paper said that we based our experiment on the capacity of mankind for self-government. Um, and then... John Adams talked about self-government in his first inaugural address. Uh, Thomas Jefferson mentioned self-governance when referring to the University of Virginia. As he was in his, one of his offices overlooking the construction, he told a friend, he said, without the habit of self-governance, the political vessel is all sail and no ballast. In other words, the ship has no way of staying, what's that? staying upright right? It'll just fall over into, the the mass will just fall over into the ocean. He also said that the qualifications for self-government in society are not innate. In other words, they're not natural. It's not going to happen naturally. It's the result of habit and long training. So using the event of the Civil War, the cultural shift began, and that shift began by changing the meaning of words. And so you started seeing the president's in their inaugural addresses starting to use the word democracy more mm. uh, you started seeing it in the newspapers then it started getting itself into the uh, curriculum standards and so for example New Jersey your neighbor um, in their curriculum standards it says a representative democracy is an individual electing representatives to act on their behalf does that sound right does it sound good it's biblical it's biblical right Actually, that is a democracy in function. We do not have a democracy in function. We have a, a democracy that you are being trained to operate. In our republican form of government, maintenance of the system and control of the system is shared amongst the people. So, can I, can I, can I have time to tell them the story? We have nine minutes. Nine minutes. What's that? Nine okay, I've got the hands up a bit. So, um, are you guys familiar with um, a lady named Elizabeth Powell?
2: Some
0: mm-hmm. of you are? Okay. Well, in uh, Bill and I have been doing, well, he started this research on Elizabeth Powell. Uh, she's from Philadelphia. Her house is just a few blocks away or less from the Constitutional Convention Hall, Independence Hall there in Philadelphia. And she was very uh, politically engaged which was risque for that time, right, Uh, for women to participate in the politics of the time or the the discussion of the day. Anyway, she threw herself right into the middle of those things. She would have them over to her house. She would engage them in political discourse, Um, and even to the point where she knew what system of government they were discussing in the convention. Uh, The last day of the convention, There's a a historical account in a diary of one of the convention attendees, Dr. James McHenry, who says uh, about this exchange between this woman and Benjamin Franklin. Well, her question to him is interesting. She says to him, so, doctor, what have we got? A monarchy or a republic, right? Right. But wait a second, if it's a democracy, could she vote? Not then. Not then. Could she become an elected representative? Not then. So Ben Franklin's response to her is very telling. I mean, even even if it was somewhat maybe possibly sarcastic exchange between them, because Ben Franklin, he, he discovered a certificate where Ben Franklin signed to have her husband, Samuel Adams, Uh, excuse me, Samuel Powell, joined the American Philosophical Society at Pennsylvania, uh, no, Philadelphia. And so Ben Franklin was the president of the American Philosophical Society, and they elected her husband into society just a year before that exchange with Ben Franklin. Um, So to us, that that certificate is like really cool because there's his signature with Sam. So now we know that they had a relationship. And so that gives some credence to when they had the exchange, it seems sarcastic. So, Doctor, what have we got? Monarchy or republic? And his response to me seems even equally sarcastic. Well, a republic, if you can keep it, good luck. <laughs> right? And so now how is she supposed to keep the republic if it's not a democracy, where she cannot vote and she cannot be an elected representative? She can influence those who are she can influence those who are. Right. Well, she has what's called political power. She had the ability to use social relations involving strategy to gain control. Anyway, uh 1792, she engages with George Washington. Um her uh her and her husband were very good friends with the Washingtons. And George Washington was going to resign, I guess it was and no he wasn't going to accept the nomination for a second there we go and so she wrote him a letter matter of fact we're going to go see the draft letter at mount vernon on is that tomorrow tuesday Tuesday? um the final draft is is probably one of the best letters i've ever written Uh, i mean excuse me read (laughs) i could never write a letter like hers in in this letter she she basically admonishes George Washington if you quit the republic is over or people will seize on it they will take advantage of the event and seize on that in order to say hey this system is defunct and so the response from George Washington is the key his response is he runs for a second term um and isn't there isn't there some exchange between him and Jefferson uh, Jefferson paraphrased Jefferson's like well hey I thought you were quitting and his response uh, Je- George Washington's response is he said he
3: decided against quitting because of strong solicitations from Philadelphia
0: <laughs> where Mrs. Powell from well wait a second so um, what? Did, how did she build that how did she build up that kind of influence she exercised her political power she used social relations Involving strategy to gain control or authority. So what does that entail your question earlier? How do I fix it? Number one Do you own the meaning of words? If not your job is to seize control Number two, how do you seize control? You have to use social relations involving strategy Well, what does that look like? Well, you can look to mrs. Powell Right She she had them over She fed them, right? She fed them, she had them over. We use social relations involving a strategy to gain control of what? Of each other? Of words. Who controls the meaning of words? Right now, there's a huge challenge in the United States. There are things you cannot say, can you? Um, Think about Kim Davis from Kentucky there's some things she couldn't say right And she ended up in jail because of it should she have ended up in jail No. why because her state said legally she could not do what they had to do right the state legislature was supposed to change the law to comply with the Supreme Court anyway the point is is that even Kim Davis wasn't fully clear on the meaning of words right had nothing to do with her religious belief. It had everything to do with the system of the government of Kentucky. Excuse me, uh, Mr. U.S. Marshal. Um, Two minutes. I enforce Kentucky law. So if you want the Kentucky to comply with the Supreme Court, go arrest the legislators. They're the ones who make law. My job is to enforce law. So the meaning of words, what does it mean? Um... Our organization has been around for about three, four years now. We're in 20-plus states. Um, We've been training now. We've got a level one class tomorrow near Dover, Mm -hmm. and um, it's packed out, so we'll be standing room only if you choose to come. We take citizens of the United States who are willing to learn how to share, control, and maintain our system of government. Not everybody's interested in that, but at the bare minimum, you should at least learn the system the bare minimum. Remember, if anything you take from tonight, Ben Franklin told a woman who could not vote or hold office, it's a republic if you can keep it. And so she took steps in a letter to George Washington that said, hey, if you quit, we lose it. So was she keeping it? We have a responsibility, not just as individual citizens, young or old, but even as Christians. Uh, this system is brilliantly designed and absolutely worth all of your time. Um, check us out at www.sensit.com mm-hmm. and uh, um, Sean, I appreciate
2: you having Bill and I to speak uh, my tonight. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you for coming. We'll be having a Q&A right after. Okay.
1: Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash TheNinjaPastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at TheNinjaPastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash GodInCountryRadio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drseangreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.